0: He e tēnei nā te reo irirangi o the
1: horse was discovered and had this piece of rope on the bridle, and that rope assumed some significance because the family uh, immediately commented that it wasn't their rope. Cursa Jensen
0: is a name burnt into the memory of many New Zealanders. On September 1st, 1983, Cursa collected her horse from the paddock next to her home near Napier, then rode him to the beach at Awatoto. But she never came back. Her body was never found, and no one has ever been charged. This is Crimes NZ, and I'm Jesse Mulligan. In this episode, we hear from Detective Inspector Ian Holyoke, who headed the inquiry into Kurse's disappearance. I don't know. It just it, the memory's always there. Yeah, and, and it was such a famous case in New Zealand, wasn't it? Even for people who didn't live in Hawkes Bay, everyone knew that name, Kurse Jensen.
1: Yes, Sarah. Um, you know, I, I guess New Zealand had a uh, a proud record of of being a country with very few homicides, very few murders. You know, there's only ever one a week, roughly, <laughs> and uh, pretty much everyone is solved. And uh, that's because the offender is still standing there with a smoking gun, or a bloody knife, or hammer, or axe. But occasionally there's um, there's a mystery, and this was one of those. And I guess, yeah, stuck in memories, it's it's got a lot of human interest because the missing person was a 14-year-old girl, and uh, and everyone knows a 14-year-old girl.
0: So what do we know about what did happen on that day in September
1: 1983? Well, she just went for what was a normal sort of ride after school. Uh, she uh, lived with her parents. Her father was a vicar at a local church, and uh, she had a horse paddock next to the church and manse. Uh, and she got a horse and rode off, down a green belt, sort of out to the sea, which would only have been, uh, oh, I suppose two or three kilometres away, and rode along the beach, which I think was a common practice for her. Mm -hmm. And uh, she would do that, you know, sometime after three, uh, and should have been back again, I think, by, I don't know, five, five-thirty something, certainly by six o'clock, her mother was quite worried and began looking for her.
0: And what was the last sighting of her?
1: Uh, well, the sightings uh, at the beach were around 4 o'clock in the afternoon, which would be not long after she got there, and sort of seemed to span, I suppose, the most known ones, around 4.15 to 4.45, of her riding on the beach alone with the horse, and then pulled up at a gun emplacement and, um, uh, and seen there, sort of two or three different lots of people, and then just completely she vanished, uh but the horse later when people started looking when the police were called and um i don't know sometime after six o'clock or about six i think mean, the uh, the horse was discovered and it's evident that it had been tied to the gun emplacement by a piece of rope uh, but it had broken away from the gun emplacement and had this piece of rope on the bridle and half of the rope just a small length of rope was still on the gun emplacement, and that rope assumed some significance because the family uh, immediately commented that it wasn't their rope; it was a strange rope, and uh, that became really the only clue that there was in the whole case was a piece of rope. Yeah, it's,
0: and what about big... of of those sightings? Um, what was the most interesting? Oh
1: well, um, the sight sightings at one particular person uh, described to us. He claimed to have been driving across the nearby bridge, which is probably a couple of hundred meters from the gun emplacement. And this is, we're talking along what was then State Highway number two, uh, motoring past and looked across to the gun emplacement, like a hundred, 200 meters away, and saw the girl with a horse uh, talking to a man who had a white truck. And for some reason, he thought that was suspicious. Uh, for the life of me, I can't see what was suspicious about it, but it so aroused his concern that he decided to uh, go in there and see. But it, that wasn't a, an ordinary feat. He actually had to drive another couple of kilometres along the main highway, then turn off, double back along a back road, then come out and cross the highway again and go over to the uh, gun emplacement, which would have taken you know, five minutes, I think. It would have been three or four kilometres. Mm. And when he got out to the beach, the girl was there with her horse and the man with the white truck had gone. She had a bit of blood on her face. She'd had a fall and she said uh, a man had been there and he, he'd he gone to get her parents. So this witness said, um, OK, well, I'll leave it to it and he drove away, carried on with what his work was. Um, and we then spent the next several weeks trying to find this man in white truck and in the end determined that it, the man in the truck didn't exist. It was made up by this, this uh, alleged witness. And we... Th- began to feel there was more to his uh, connection with the girl than than what he had revealed to us. So who was the witness? Uh, His name was John Russell, and he lived halfway between Napier and Hastings, I guess you could say, and he worked on an orchard. Uh, I can't remember why he was driving over towards Hastings on that day. He was not unknown to the police, uh, and some suspicion did attach to him because of that. And because of the strange story about he thinking there was something suspicious and uh, and going to investigate, uh, and then when he's, when we just couldn't find the person and we couldn't find the missing girl, we began to uh, re-examine uh, Russell's story, and the scientists offered to uh, subject the piece of rope to a very special scientific uh, examination. And they determined there were 42, as I recall, 42 different minerals, pollens and spores in this rope. And they said if they ever found the place uh, where this rope came from, they would definitely know that. And we, we puzzled over this for some time. In fact, we, had been, uh, we began all, all the trucks that came within the, the gambit, and we are still looking for that. We were checking them and checking ropes and checking for minerals and pollens and spores. It all turned to nothing. And in the end, we went to the house of this witness, and uh, by collecting pollens and spores from the area where he lived, the vehicle that he drove in, and the orchard where he worked, we were able to determine the 42 pollens and spores were associated with him and that rope, and his car, and his home, and his work, and uh, wow. and so that made us really think that he had used his rope, from the, a rope from the boot of his car, and it was a rope we discovered. He was supposed to have um, part of a caravan awning that the boss that he, you know, personally um, person that he worked for had asked him to dispose of a caravan awning. He had, uh, as you naturally would, he kept two or three ropes. So awning ropes were quite good piece of rope, and, and I'm quite convinced he had one on the boot of his car and he tied the horse up uh, with it. And... Uh, what he did with the girl, though, where she went? I don't know.
0: Yeah. Meanwhile, um while all this is going uh, on, of course, the nation is transfixed, the case is on the front page of the local paper for at least a month. Yes. and and the police and media were working together to try and encourage anyone to come come forward.
1: Oh, certainly, yes, there was um there was great support from uh, the media. there were then local papers in nature the. The Daily Telegraph and the Herald Tribune in in Hastings, and I, do, I remember the uh, the editor of the local nature paper coming to see me after a week, saying, "Look, Ian," uh, he, he said, "we've had this story on the front page for a whole week. I don't think as much as everyone's interested. We'll be able to keep it there." Well. We kept coming up uh, with uh, little tidbits every day and uh, new new leads and things, and it actually stayed on the front page for, uh, for four weeks, uh, so there was a lot of interest, and then we created our own, uh, we created a video we made reconstructing what had happened and played that in shop windows in town, and uh, it, I mean, it... it as i said at the start it was a, a real human interest story and it appealed to everybody and everyone was keen to help got
0: some audio from 1983 this is from our team at ngatonga sound Goodness. archives uh, <laughs> and and this is curse's parents robin and dan each pleading for her return here's robin jensen
2: if anyone has curse i just ask you please bring her home bring her home safely to us as soon as you possibly can and we'll forgive all All we want is our darling daughter home again. Yeah, and Dan, her husband. Please come forward and uh, tell them. And I'm sure, I, I know that they will be heard uh, gratefully and sympathetically. Because I know that the, the way the dealings that we've had with those were searching for her have been just so so great. And we're so thankful for every effort that's been made so far. Do you think your daughter is still alive? Well... We haven't had any news to the contrary. And we have the faith to to believe that, that um, yes, that life is stronger than,
0: than death. Amazing cut from Dan Jensen, the father. As you say, it was a bit of a goose chase trying to tr- track down that white truck. Although there, there was another sighting from another witness involving a white vehicle, Ian.
1: Oh, well, once you mention a thing like that, in any case, then people think they've seen one and you pursue all these leads and then then you find the one that that person saw and determine it had no connection at all. So you go back looking for the rest of them and so it just goes on and on. But uh, I still to this day think it was a wild goose chase and and we were wasting our time. Okay. So...
0: At this point, though, when the, um, when the forensic evidence seems to su- suggest so strongly that this first witness, John Russell, uh, is connected to the case, you must have felt as though you had your man.
1: Oh, well, it, there was certainly evidence pointed towards him, but uh, but there was nothing, there was not enough to go to court. I mean, we asked him about it, and he no, 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 he didn't do anything like that, and he, he couldn't explain the way the rope bit, but that was the only... The thing that pointed at him, and um, uh, and he just uh, maintained his innocence, and and you know, people in the area where he lived, uh, friends and family, neighbours, uh, we we checked out, you know, immediately when we heard his story. When did he get home? Uh, but the people tended to support that he got home, and so we 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 took his story at face value for a while, and um, uh, and that was uh, misleading. So he actually basically
0: confirmed that the rope was his. Was it was a rope that he had in his possession?
1: Yes, he when we when we put it to him that we could prove scientifically, he did agree that uh, yes, it must have been a rope that he had in the in the back of the car, and um, yes, he must have loaned it to the girl to tie up the horse, and he'd forgotten all about it, and uh, you know it was just uh, he's getting the story to to, to fit uh, or his explanation to fit the story and, and altering around as necessary.
0: But you didn't have enough evidence to go to court. In fact, here you are, Ian, talking to media some months after the inquiry about the continuing efforts to find evidence.
2: We're looking at, at, at areas of search. and In fact, uh, I looked at one area yesterday, uh, and I'm talking about uh, search of uh, land and search of waterways, uh, and don't want to be any more specific than that. The scientific evidence, uh, as I've said, is quite intricate and detailed, and uh, we're... Uh, to be quite honest We're dealing in areas of pollens and spores and minerals uh, objects which to uh, to even see uh, requires magnification of several hundred times and uh, so you you can appreciate from that it's a, a very detailed analysis that the scientists have been doing for us we have set out as i said before to try and determine where that rope came from. And to that end, the, the rope itself has been a key exhibit and subject probably to more scientific testing than any other exhibit in any other criminal case in New Zealand, I'd venture to suggest. So
0: that's our guest today, Ian Holyoake, Detective Inspector Ian Holyoake, talking about the search for evidence. We also have you uh, announcing to reports uh, reporters that there is not enough evidence and the case is not strong enough to take to court.
2: We were optimistic throughout the investigation that we uh, would solve it. Uh, That optimism uh, is perhaps based on a number of factors. Firstly, uh, the police inevitably do solve uh, such investigations and that's evidenced by the four or five murders or attempted murders there have been since the disappearance of Kirsten Jensen. Um, As well, one has to have a positive mental attitude in an investigation of this type. We had a good team working on the inquiry and uh, and tremendous public response. That and perhaps, uh, um, s- uh, perhaps a little vainly believing in my own uh, experience in previous cases, uh, I was optimistic we would solve the case. Uh, however, that has not occurred, not so far anyway. Can you tell us what are the missing links in this chain that you speak of that are preventing you instituting proceedings? No, I can't really. Well, where where does your evidence fall down then where does it fall short well it, it's difficult to deal on evidence uh, you know, that's something that i don't want to discuss uh, we've carried out the investigation as best we can we've collected uh, as much evidence as we can and as we've said in the uh, the uh, statement uh, that there is insufficient on which to institute any criminal proceedings and i can't take it any further than that
0: must have been a hard news conference to
1: deliver, Ian. Yes, I guess that's towards the end of the of the uh, uh, you know weeks and weeks and months of investigation, and uh, uh, with the interest beginning to wane and the clues uh, disappearing and very few leads, I must have tried to make a a final go away uh, conference, but the hardest thing really was to go and see the parents and tell them, which I would have done just prior to that media release. And uh, I'd said to them right at the start that uh, we'll find your daughter, I promise you that. And uh, I went to them months and months later and said, I'm sorry, I failed. Tough on you personally? Oh, yes, most certainly. In fact, I had a 14-year-old daughter myself at that time, and they shared some classes at the same school.
0: Boy. And in all these years, you've never found or nobody's ever found a body or indeed any suggestion of of what might have happened to her?
1: No, not at all. Uh, uh, You know, different leads come in. In fact, um, by a strange coincidence that I'm still looking into, I actually got an email uh, 30 minutes ago from some person I've never heard of offering me some information. I've yet to make contact with them. Things like that have happened to me over the years, over 37 years. But it, but in the uh, the current uh, police officers, there's, there's always someone monitoring this case, and uh, uh, leads come in and they looked into... Uh, often they're silly and fanciful things, and uh, for goodness sake, thinking of something 30 years later, and so oh, I thought I should tell you that, it's not a heck of a helpful. It's... Uh, but uh, but you appreciate the information. It, it might be that someone has been harboring something all this time, and uh, and that they might come forward. Remote though it seems, uh, one always hopes for that, and even now I still do. And I, I still, uh, you know, I still think about the case. Uh, I occasionally uh, speak to Robin Jensen when she's passing through neighbors She'll perhaps call and speak to my wife and I. And. Uh, uh, the Father, Dan Jensen, he's called here and seen me too. and uh, a few months ago, I had a meeting myself and one of the other officers who who's worked closely on this case during my career and after I retired, he and I had a meeting with the uh, the local detectives uh, and updated on uh, a number of features on this case and things that were being looked at and uh, and and reviewed.
0: What was the nature of the email you got half an hour ago?
1: Oh, just a person that's come up through Facebook. I thought I should, something like I thought I should tell you uh, this happened uh, at the time of Kather Jensen, and I think you were involved with that case. Uh, but then he didn't tell me anything, so I'm not quite sure. There's some half of the message that I can't see, but uh, and I couldn't follow it up then because I was waiting for a call from you. So, uh, okay, I've had lots of things like that, and um, yeah, I get my hopes up.
0: We'll stay in contact with you about that one. Um, so how about this guy, John Russell, what happened to him? He, did he ever admit that um, he would had something to do with her disappearance?
1: Not really. He, he, um, his um, mental ability deteriorated over the years. Uh, I transferred away uh, uh, about 18 months after this disappearance to Wellington to police headquarters and then later to, again to Christchurch. But he um, occasionally was was inside mental institutions, and indeed, at one, on one occasion, he came to me in Christchurch. He he walked out of the uh, um, was it the Sunny Side and came down to the police station where I was the district commander then, and he, he came in and saw me and and wanted to discuss the case and wondered if he really had done it, and perhaps I did. No, I don't think I did. Uh, maybe I've done it and I've forgotten. His mind was just wandering, and uh, he uh, would. Sort of half pie admit something, and then he then he would uh, deny it again. And uh, so he uh, even went uh, one occasion. He went to the television studios at Avalon and wanted to make confession there to uh, I think it might have been, funnily enough, the the late Genevieve Westcott, who passed mm. away just in weeks. Uh, I talked I've talked to her in recent times. She hunted me out when she came to Napier here in the last year, um, and we talked. Uh, he went to see her. He went to the other media people, and then finally, uh, he took his own life, and never left a clue. So, if he if he did uh, harbour the secret, he took it to the grave.
0: You think he did it, though?
1: I I, I can't I can't say. I'm, you know, really governed by the evidence, and there wasn't sufficient evidence to take him to court, uh, and I've got to be convinced to that as any police officer does, before you go to court. So uh, you can think the person did it, but you've got to have enough evidence to proceed, and we didn't. Did he have a criminal history? Yeah, yes, he, he was uh, not unknown to the police, but I, I don't recall the great details of it now, and I wouldn't go into it anyway. Okay. And there's a memorial at the
0: last place she was seen alive now.
1: Yes, the family uh, planted the Pahutakawa tree there, and it, it suffered a bit in the weather over the years. I mean, I was away from nature for 15 years, and I came back here 20 21 years ago, and um, the Rotary Club that I then belonged to, and a part of a community project, there's a Rotary Pathway wanders around Hawke's Bay and went past this memorial, and, and they decided in deference. To to Jensen and to myself, I guess. And they planted some more putakawa trees. And there, there was a plaque that the family had put there. And so uh, our clubs kept an eye on it. One Rotary Club built a shelter there recently. And uh, there's a seat there, and uh, there's the plaque. And uh, I sometimes happen by there and and stop and tidy it up and keep it neat. And then you'll occasionally go
0: into the St Paul's Cathedral or Knox Cathedral and and mark her oh,
1: I actually do. Uh, I think the first time when I was down in Wellington, a, a, year, a couple of years later, the 1st of September came around and I walked from Police Headquarters down the road to St Paul's Cathedral and sat there for a moment. And then the next year I was in Christchurch and uh, I went to the Christchurch Cathedral and sat there. That's a sorry state now, I see, but uh, and then, then I was in Knox Cathedral a couple of years after that, or five years. And, Uh, Not that I'm a greatly religious man, I don't wear my religion on my shoulder, but uh, I did in deference to the family and their beliefs. I'd spend some time in a church on the first of September, and now that I'm back in the bay I I go out to Awatoto, sometimes with some of my detective friends and we sit there for a bit and tell stories, some of which are vaguely true.
0: Thanks for listening to Crimes NZ. I'm Jesse Mulligan. You can catch more of me every afternoon on RNZ National around 101FM in New Zealand or listen to the show live at rnz.co.nz. If you're looking for your next history fix, you might like to listen to Untold Pacific History, Eyewitness or Black Sheep. All of our podcasts are on Apple, Spotify,
1: iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts.